Hello, friends, and welcome back to the show. We would like to thank this week's sponsor, Verger CBD. Verger CBD offers only the highest quality CBD products for relaxation, rejuvenation, and concentration. In addition to topicals, edibles, and flour, Verger has a wide variety of skincare products and CBD for your pets as well. Check them out on Facebook or on their newly designed website, vergercbd.com. That's Verger, V-E-R-D-U-R-E-C-B-D.com. Also, be sure to take advantage of a special 10% off for our listeners with the promo code UNKNOWN10 at checkout. Thousands of people mysteriously vanish in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a man who can recite every number of pi, Mike Vandebogart. <laughs> thanks, Joe. How's it going, everyone? And uh, welcome back to Locations Unknown, and thanks for tuning in in these uh, strange times we live in. Uh, no <laughs> no uh, exciting updates this time around, but be sure to check out our Facebook page and pick up some swag. We we still have some hats and bumper stickers, and I'm hoping later this year we can get some shirts uh, on the Facebook store, so stay tuned. Yeah, I think uh, the walls in my house are getting smaller and smaller every day. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, cr- I'm, I'm crawling the walls here, too. Uh, and uh, we also want to say thank you to uh, Andrew Wayne, who submitted our intro today. So if you notice that our <laughs> intro for the show is a little bit different, uh, we put out a little video contest, and Andrew sent in a really nice recording file. He's a musician, and we'll, we'll put up a, a little shout-out to him and his uh, band on the webpage or on Facebook, and that's who you heard today. So thanks again, Andrew Wayne, for submitting that audio file. It was fantastic. All right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. Thank you. 
The setting for this story revolves around the Flannan Isles Lighthouse. The 75-foot lighthouse was constructed between 1895 and 1899 and cost about 6,900 pounds sterling, uh, which is uh, great British pounds, and that's equivalent to about a million dollars in 2019 money. Uh, the lighthouse was first lit on December 7th, 1899. So this lighthouse sits on Eileen Moor, which literally means large island in Scottish Gaelic, and is part of the Flannan Isles, a small island chain on the west coast of mainland Scotland. The islands have been devoid of permanent residents since the automation of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse in 1971. So, Joe... Um, have you ever been to Scotland, Scotland or Ireland? I have not. I have not either. I really want to go. Yeah, though. it's like a lot of things. It's on the list. The Isles uh, provide nesting for a population of seabirds, most notab notably the Atlantic puffin. There is also a population of rabbits brought to the island by the lighthouse keepers. Other than uh, seabirds and rabbits, there's no real hostile animals on the on the island, so uh, that'll rule out any kind of animal attack in this story. Yeah. The island of Eileen Moor for centuries was regarded as a magical place with a certain powerful aura surrounding it. Sheep herders, who were the only ones known to regularly visit the island, called it the other country and believed it to be populated by spirits, uh, fairy folk, elves, and supernatural beings, as well as giant birds which were said to prowl the area. So, uh, sounds like a pretty terrifying island. I actually don't want to visit it now. <laughs> <laughs> well what's funny is it's really small island it's just kind of flat yeah and like i mean I, I won't say flat it's not like plateauish but i mean it's not like it's huge and jagged so it's just kind of funny to think about you think about people back then yeah and there's not much going on so their imagination goes wild yeah that's all i can think of is like if you're a sheep herder and you got to go to the island with your sheep every now and then like you've nothing else to do it, and you it's start thinking about this stuff yeah it's probably like a self-fulfilling uh, myth. They hear it from somebody, and then you know they you know probably morphed into these crazy stories with supernatural beings and giant birds over yeah, you know centuries fifty years of or telephone. centuries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the sheep herders and fishermen who visited the island were said to use special rituals to protect themselves uh, from these magical island inhabitants, and were said to communicate with them through a special dialect just for this purpose. So. Um, these guys are taking go. it serious. Yeah, they formed their own language to to speak with yeah. these spirits. Uh, so it's like nineteen hundred style LARPing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, even before the incident at the lighthouse, there have been several stories about mysterious creatures and other things that gave people pause about the island. So it sounds like if you lived back in that time, it's it's not somewhere somewhere you'd go with your family for a vacation. Uh, you'd, you'd probably just try no. to avoid the island. <laughs> yeah, I think it exists solely basically to provide the lighthouse yeah. and to keep ships from basically crashing into this island chain. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about the lighthouse keepers of the Eileen Moor. They had, if you can imagine, a relatively easy job. They worked in shifts with three men on and one enjoying two weeks off at all times. Okay. So there are always three guys there and one guy off going back home wasn't on the island at the time. The three men working that lighthouse that day were James Ducat, he's 43 years old, Donald MacArthur, 40, and Thomas Marshall, who is 28. So I'm going to go right into the timeline. Since it was a long time ago, it's based off of diary entries and captain's logs of the boat that was approaching to relieve 
uh, one of the men at the lighthouse. So on December 15, 1900, Captain Holman aboard the American steamboat the Arctor passed by Eileen Moore and noticed that the lighthouse was out of operation. So this is December 15th. Holman sent out a wireless telegram informing the mainland of the issue. It was, for unknown reasons, not immediately passed on to the Northern Lighthouse Board, which is who is in charge of administering the lighthouse. In addition to this first oversight, the lighthouse was regularly monitored by telescope from the nearby Lewis Island by a guy named Roderick McKenzie. McKenzie had failed to notice that the light was out. The assumption is that there was thick mists in the area and it obstructed his view since it was just by a telescope. For over a week, no one was sure what had happened on the island. So they noticed the light was on the 15th. Yeah. On December 26th, 1900, Captain Jim Harvey was bringing the fourth attendant, Joseph Moore. So that is no relation to the name of the island. It's just coincidence that the guy's name was Moore and they're going to the Eileen Moore. <laughs> so he was going to the lighthouse as the relief uh, attendant. As the ship approached the island, he noted that something was off. The, re- the relief flag was not flying, and no one was waiting the arrival at the landing of the Eileen Moore. So he sounded the whistle on the boat and shot a flare to try and catch the lighthouse keeper's attention. But the island continued to remain silent. So Joseph Moore rode ashore in a rowboat and went up the stairs from, the, from where he docks the boat that went up to lighthouse. And according to reports from Moore himself, the replacement lighthouse keeper suffered an overwhelming sense of foreboding on his long walk up to the top of the cliff. So he could almost feel there was something not right. So once at the lighthouse, Moore noticed something was immediately wrong. The door of the lighthouse was unlocked, and in the entrance hall, two of three oilskin coats were missing. Moore continued onto the kitchen area where he found a half-eaten food and an overturned chair, almost as if someone jumped from their seat in a hurry. To add to this particular scene, the kitchen clock had also stopped. Huh. Moore continued to search the rest of the lighthouse but found no sign of lighthouse keepers. He ran back to the ship to inform Captain Harvey, who subsequently ordered a search of the island for the missing men. No one was ever found. Harvey, this is the captain of the ship, quickly sent back a telegram to the mainland, which in turn was forwarded to the Northern Lighthouse Board headquarters in Edinburgh. The telegraph read, a dreadful accident has happened at the Flannans. The three keepers, Ducat, Marshall, and the, occasion- and the Occasional, have disappeared from the island. On our arrival there this afternoon, no sign of life was to be seen on the island. Fired a rocket, but as no response was made, managed to land more, who went up to the station but found no keepers there. The clocks were stopped, and other signs indicated that an accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure a crane or something like that. Night coming on, we could not wait to make something as to their fate. I have left Moore, McDonald, and Boymaster and two seamen on the island to keep the light burning until you make other arrangements. Will not return to Oban until I hear from you. I have repeated this wire to Muirhead in case you are not at home. I will remain at the telegraph office tonight until it closes, if you wish to wire me. So that was his telegram. Mm-hmm. A few days later, Robert Moorhead, the board's superintendent, who both recruited and knew all three men, personally departed for the island to investigate the disappearance. 
His investigation of the lighthouse found nothing over and above what Moore had already reported. That is except for the lighthouse's log. So this is where it gets interesting. Muirhead immediately noticed that the last few days of entries were very unusual. On the 12th of December, Thomas Marshall, the second assistant, wrote of severe winds, the likes of which he had never seen before in 20 years. He also noticed that James Ducat, the principal keeper, had been very quiet and that the third assistant, William MacArthur, had been crying. I'm just like picturing the scene. It it just reminds me of... Uh... In, in movies where there's, like, people confined somewhere, how before something really bad happens, they're all just acting really strange. and Yeah, they start to go mad a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's I, I'm with you on that. That's exactly what I was thinking. So what's really strange about the final remarks was that William MacArthur was a seasoned mariner and was known on the Scottish mainland as a tough brawler. <laughs> so why would he be crying about a storm? And that's, I mean, if you can just imagine, I mean, if you go there now, yeah, I mean, bar fights, drinking, that type of thing. So you have this guy here that's like a big tough guy, you know, brought to tears over a storm. I mean, yeah, uh, people from Scotland, uh, they're tough, tough people. This is a, you know, third-hand story that someone I know that's from Ireland told me you know, like when they say a tough brawler, this happened, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, he was in a bar in Scotland and this American walked in and kind of like a dorky looking American and asked where the bathroom was. And apparently somebody in the bar didn't like that and literally bottled him. And that bottling is just, he, they broke a beer bottle over the back of his head. <laughs> I don't know if the story's true, but it. That sounds like stereotypical Scotland bar. Like, so uh, I I believe it. They, yeah, <laughs> just who knows? I want to believe it. Probably just, their soccer team just lost and they're pissed off. And yeah, their football team, Mike. You're gonna get bottled football. if you don't say yeah, it right. Sorry, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're tough. Yes. So log entries on the 13th of December stated that the storm was still raging and that all three men had been praying. But why would three experienced lighthouse keepers safely situated on a brand new lighthouse that was 150 feet above sea level be praying for a storm to stop? They should be perfectly safe, in theory. Even more peculiar is that there were no reported storms in the area on the 12th, 13th, and 14th of December. In fact, the weather was calm and the storms that were to batter the island didn't hit until December 17th. So that's kind of what gets strange about this because it's not some island off the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's very close to mainland. So they would know if there were storms like that actually occurring at that time. Yeah. And like you said, they were all very experienced. They were stationed in a brand new lighthouse that I'm sure the lighthouse is still standing to this day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, 100 years later, the lighthouse is still there. Um, Yeah. There's really no reason why they would be in such a panic and praying and over, you know, storms that didn't even exist apparently. So very, very odd. Well, and then the final log entry just kind of pushes over the edge Mm -hmm. on the 15th of December. The last log entry simply read storm ended, sea calm. God is overall. And that's it. Yeah. It's the last thing that was written in there. So after reading the logs, Muirhead's attention turned to the remaining oilskin coat that had been left on the entrance hall. Why, in the bitter cold winter, had one of the lighthouse keepers ventured out without his coat? Furthermore, why had all three lighthouse staff left their posts at the same time when rules and regulations strictly prohibited it? 
Further clues were found down by the landing platform. Here, Muir had noted ropes strewn all over the rocks, ropes which were usually held in a brown crate 70 feet above the platform on a supply crane. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the crate had been dislodged and knocked down and the lighthouse keepers were attempting to retrieve them when an unexpected wave came and washed them out to sea. This was the first and most likely theory, and as such, Muir had included it in his official report to the Northern Lighthouse Board. So they thought that somehow they all got washed out to sea, but what was confusing was at that time, that weather, you would. why would one guy go down there at all without his coat on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. So... And they even said this explanation left some of the people at the Northern Lighthouse Board unconvinced. For one, why had none of the bodies been washed ashore? Why did one man leave without taking his coat? So that was an official theory from the Lighthouse Board, especially since the time it was, just like we said. The most pertinent and persistent question was around the weather conditions at the time. The the sea should have been calm. They were sure of this as the lighthouse could be seen from nearby Isle of Lewis, and any bad weather would have obscured it from view entirely. Mm-hmm. I want to go over a couple of the bullet points, and we'll get into our theories here. Yeah. So some of the bullets, uh, just a high-level recap almost. All three men who vanished were very experienced at their work, and Ducat had even been chosen as the lead keeper during the construction of the lighthouse. Ducat had lived on the Eileen Moor for 14 months, so he was well aware of the possible weather conditions. Yeah. Ducat and MacArthur were married men. Marshall was single. Ducat often told his family that the conditions at the highly exposed lighthouse on Eileen Moore were dangerous, and he had to be persuaded to stay at his job. So you have a little bit of a conflicting statement there. Mm -hmm. The construction lighthouse took four years. It was originally supposed to take two, but had delays due to the rough seas around the the Flannan Islands and harsh weather. Okay. In his report of the events, Moore stated that he noted that the kitchen door was the only one he could open to enter the lighthouse. The outside gate was closed, the fire had not been lit for some days, and everything within the lighthouse was in proper order. When he searched the island with the volunteers, they noted that the western landing, there had been storm damage at some point. The iron railings of the trolley tramway had started from their foundations and broken in several places, and the box containing the moor ropes had vanished, despite having been firmly wedged into a crevasse and then anchored. So they're saying that the iron railings were ripped out of the concrete in some places and broken. So that would lead me to think there were there were really bad storms. And but the one thing that's crazy is, if there even if there's bad storms, like concrete and iron railings should hold out. Yeah. So that's what kind of freaked a lot of the guys out. Like you had these things ripped out of the concrete Mm -hmm. and you're talking about just water hitting it, which will go around an iron railing in the concrete pretty easily. Yeah. So Robert Moorhead, the superintendent in charge of the lighthouse confirmed Moore's account, adding that the dishes had been washed and the kitchen cleaned. He also wrote that the crane platform above the Western landing was fine, but the life buoy had also disappeared. After he examined the ropes, he asserted that it was evident that the force of the sea pouring through the railings had, even at the great height above sea level, torn the life buoy, life buoy off the rope. Okay. Morad saw that the morning's work on the lamp had been completed, but it had not been lit after that. Captain Harvey believed that the men went missing on the 20th of December. 
He based his claim on the stop clocks and the giant and a great storm that took place all over Western Coast on that date. Mm-hmm. The logbook had been completed by the lighthouse keepers until December 15th around noon. Secondary sources at the time said that the weather on the 15th of December was calm. The captain of the Arcturus confirmed that the weather near the Flannan Islands was clear but stormy a little bit. And of the two men's coats that were missing, MacArthur's was the one that remained on the peg by the door. So they actually knew whose coat was left behind. Okay. So those are just high-level bullets of facts and things that were reported. Yeah. So I'll say facts with an asterisk. It's all the things that were reported. Yeah. The most common theory is that the trio had gone out into a storm despite none being reported and were swept away by a monstrous sudden wave. Another is that one of the men had slipped while trying to retrieve the landing crate and the other two had desperately gone out to try and save him, after which they slipped two down a cliff face and were washed out to sea. Um, what people are kind of saying is, if that's true, and it was the case that the two had been in such a hurry, why had the front gate and front door been dutifully and firmly shut? And what about the calm weather that was just reported at the time in question? Or the one remaining oil skin, and just what about the last log entry proclaiming calm conditions that the storm was over? Yeah. So they're saying, like, because I thought about this, too, when I was reading about it, like, I really went on the theory that somebody got injured and another guy ran to get help. Yeah. So they kicked out of their kitchen chair and that's why I was on the floor and he just ran out the door, maybe leaving his coat because he just sprinted out the door. Yeah. But then they're saying, okay, like the doors are closed and locked. The gate was locked. You wouldn't do any of that stuff. No. You would just kick it open and go and not worry about it. So there are, it's like a lot of things, like in a lot of the stories we do, it seems like there's a very, very, concise answer but then there's always this like three four five little things that just contradict what you'd expect to have happen so one thing that i keep thinking is you know they claimed on the island there was really bad storms but people said there weren't any bad you know storms reported that day the first thing is the time period it's 1900 i can't imagine back then to you know how the weather was like in a certain area, you pretty much had to have firsthand knowledge from somebody, right? Correct. You'd yeah. have to to know what the conditions were on the island. You'd have to talk to a boat captain that went by at some point. Um, yeah, and that's that's pretty much what they're saying for they had the captain of the Arcatour confirming that that was the case. So we have an actual boat captain confirming that the weather during this time was – nothing that these guys you know couldn't handle correct and it was the captain that was the one that first noticed the light was out so he was he was on he was on the sea going that way at during those dates and times so two of the guys that were stationed at the lighthouse were very seasoned i believe you said ducat he had served there what 14 years and 14 months for, 14 months 14 months and macarthur age 40 so it, it seems like Thomas Marshall, age 28, was probably the least experienced. Yeah, I like the greenhorn of the group. So the first issues I have is their <clears throat> their mental state seems to be, something seems to be up with the three men before their disappearance. What I'm trying to figure out in my own mind is what would have caused something like that to happen. Was it something that the, the greenhorn did or was... You know, I 
I can't even imagine. Did one of them, you know, have an episode and he like went, you know, crazy or, you know, what would cause, uh, which was, which one was the guy that was crying? Oh, MacArthur. Yes. MacArthur. So going back to his telegraph. Yeah. So MacArthur was crying and Ducat had been acting very quiet and Thomas Marshall, the, the greenest one of the group was the one who claimed he wrote down that, you know, severe winds like the witch I've never seen before in 20 years. So maybe there was an overstatement by Thomas Marshall just because he was, you know. Yeah, since he was eight years old, he's never seen something like that. Yeah. You know, what would cause a seasoned lighthouse operator, William MacArthur, to, you know, break down and cry? What what could have possibly happened? Well, there, so there's there's other theories, and these are more out there. <laughs> um, they speculate. One of the ideas speculates that the three lighthouse keepers either intentionally left the island to escape their life of solitude, or were kidnapped by somebody. Which I don't understand that one personally. Yeah, like how would you kidnap three guys in the middle of an island that's very hard to get to? Other people have said there may have been some disagreement between the men, which led to violence. Or that one had gone stir-crazy, cooped up on the remote island, and then murdered his colleagues in a bout of bloodthirsty insanity. I actually kind of like that one. Yeah. Well, I don't like it, but you know what I mean. Like, as far as with the weird log entries, like, you think about think about this. The Greenhorn goes stir-crazy. He's new-er. Yeah. Goes a little crazy. Ends up murdering one of them. And then starts working up an alibi. He dumps the bodies in the ocean and then takes the life raft and goes. I guess they there wasn't really any sign of a struggle in the lighthouse. There was you know they didn't see blood. I mean they saw a flipped over chair, but you would think that maybe if there was some kind of struggle you'd you'd see evidence of that. Well, how about this? Okay. How about okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go down a, a rabbit hole here. All right. I'm going Hollywood on this one. All right. So let's think about the Greenhorn mm-hmm. is, is, goes insane like the Shining level insane. Yeah. Like just like crazy. He gets one of the guys and says, hey, I need help doing something down my landing. Or, hey, the, uh, the cache that we have, the, the box that's roped up there is loose. I need help tying it down. Gets one guy out there, yeah. pushes him off a cliff or does something. Mm-hmm. Runs back. Screams for the other guy, says, oh, my God, he fell, he fell, I need your help, I need your help. Gets him out there and gets him off the cliff. Takes a lifeboat, rows away to mainland, never seen again. Starts a new life. Yeah, I mean, I, anything's possible. Uh, but I just, I guess I, what would the motive be to do that? I That's what I'm saying. Like, there's no motive outside of he's completely insane. Yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe he had some kind of mental condition undiagnosed at the time. And, you know, being locked up, you know, in a confined space, unable to really do anything for, you know, days at a time, maybe that brings out some kind of adverse reaction. And he, yeah, he just, he does go crazy. I mean, one of the other theories I think I could easily see, maybe one of the guys did fall in and the other two tried to go help him. You would think, though, guys this experienced would know if someone falls in that you're like, oh, man, we just there's no way we're going to be able to get him. Like, I'm not going to go risk myself to try and get him out. 
maybe they tossed him the life raft and it it just went out to sea. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah maybe that. I, like you said, though, with the experience and stuff, I can't see him make, make taking risks that would then potentially get them to lose. Or maybe they would. Maybe they hopped in that life raft. Maybe and it was so wavy, it capsized or something. But what what's confusing is that stuff comes to shore. It doesn't typically go out to sea. Yeah. So you'd expect to find those things. And I think that's where there's some theories about the craziest unexplainable things, more like alien abductions and things like that, where the stuff is just kind of missing. And there's people that think that they were basically taken up by aliens or something like that, or the elves or any of the weird folklore legends they have in the Island. They, got intertwined with that and now are in another dimension potentially. <laughs> so there's a lot of like cool other, yeah, you know, explanations that have people have come up with over time. Yeah, that is, uh, that is puzzling, I guess. Um, you know, of the more logical theories, I think I I'm kind of on your train with the, the one guy went mad. Maybe I think it's entirely plausible to, someone to break down especially someone who maybe has not been in a confined space like that before for a long period of time you know obviously we've all seen movies where that thing happens over and over and you know those types of movies where people are isolated and they even do uh they do studies nasa does long-term studies for one humans eventually plan to go to mars and they've found that you have to they have to screen these people for months before they put a crew together because there's so many variations in, you know, how people act that to find three people that a long enough period of time, any of us would probably go crazy confined. Yeah. You think about like how, how nuts people are going with this, uh, the COVID-19 stuff and just having to stay in their house and they don't even have to stay in their house. They get, they'll go to the store once a week or whatever. Yeah. But if you're on a Mars mission, you might have to live in like something the size of your basement. For years. And never go with outside. With the same two people. Yeah. yeah. With the same two people. And I can just imagine that, you know, obviously maybe MacArthur and Ducat are obviously they're, they're seasoned. They've done this before. But this, the younger guy is new to this. And maybe he didn't, obviously they probably did no kind of, you know, screening for this. Just, you know, <laughs> stick three guys together, go out to the lighthouse. I think that would be a really plausible thing that he just went mad and killed the other two guys and then just disappeared. Yeah. I think another plausible theory is maybe, like you said, one of them slipped, fell in. The other two guys got in the lifeboat to try and go get him, but then it capsized. And the remains of the boat and the, the guys should have been found at some point. I mean, there's a chance it, you could you know, capsize out in the ocean and not be found. Yeah, and it, the stuff goes to the bottom and or whatever happens. And, I mean, even if the weather is calm, relatively calm, it's probably still a pretty rough sea around those islands, even in, you know, it's December. You're not going to last very long in that water. I'm sure it's really cold. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. That would maybe explain. Think about, like, the water, like what they talk about with the Titanic sinking and the people in the water there yeah. and what it felt like. So it's, like, that level. I mean, that could explain why everything was so tidied and, like, the doors were closed. Maybe they had planned to go do something, you know, a task outside. So they, you know, they ate dinner. They closed everything up and then went outside. And then one of the guys slipped and fell in. You know, maybe that's a possibility. Maybe there was a another ship that docked there and kidnapped him. 
Like pirates? Yeah, maybe pirates or something. <laughs> and maybe there's no sign of a struggle, but they just like, all right, you're coming with us. And you would think that they would maybe loot the lighthouse and take... I mean, I'm guessing that those guys that went to investigate the lighthouse would have seen things missing. Like, oh, yeah, yeah this place has been looted. And what's going to be there? Re- yeah, exactly. Besides the thing, besides the supplies to keep these guys alive for the until the next change hap- occurs. Yeah, it's not like anything super valuable is going to be there. Yeah, um, it's interesting that the clocks were stopped. It, obviously, these aren't battery powered clocks. They must be some kind of you know you got to wind them up. Kind of like uh, my grandparents used to have this old grandfather clock that every every couple of weeks he actually had to wind up to get it to see and that to keep that's working. What, that's what kind of got me too is. Um, they all stopped at the same time, and that's where a lot of people are talking about alien abduction. And it's funny because I'm now in season two of the X Files because I'm going through <laughs> all the seasons since we talked about it. I think it was like two episodes ago. Yep. And they're at the point where Mulder is starting to come to terms with like his sister's abduction. Yeah. And he's down in El Salvador at the radio array. No, that was um, or Puerto not El Rico. Salvador. Yeah, Puerto Rico at the radio array. Yeah. And um. They're literally talking about how like you you had missed time and the and they're always looking at the clocks and then like I read this I'm like oh my gosh it's it's just like Mulder's abduction, yeah. um, so it could be aliens and that's why the time stopped when the abduction occurred. Well, there you go. Yeah, if you uh, <laughs> you've got so we've got the theories on the the more sane side of things of uh, get, went crazy from confinement. I think that's very plausible. Uh, accident. Obviously, they're on a you know a, a cliff. It, lots of waves and water, and very easily you could slip. And then on the other crazy end, yeah, um, there's an alien abduction or the uh, giant seabirds that roam the island got them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, it's like the Bigfoot of Scotland, giant seabirds. Yeah, it's just uh, it's an interesting case, and it happened so long ago. There's not really. It's really cool. It's I wanted to do it because it's a little bit of a shorter episode, and not a lot of people are into podcasting for long terms without commutes. So I thought this would be a good quick one to go through, but since you are at home and I'm sure browsing the internet and probably sick of seeing COVID-19 stuff, (laughs) go down the rabbit hole of the Eileen Moore. And I promise you will not be disappointed. Yeah. It's a, it's a bizarre, bizarre case. Like they all, they all turn out to be, Uh, (laughs) but uh, yeah, this one uh, you wonder just what happened to those guys. Um, absolutely google it you won't be disappointed and uh with that i'll just say thanks again for tuning into our show and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family be sure to like and follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and we do have the all of our episodes on youtube so they get loaded there so if you want to listen on them there you are more than welcome to and if you'd like to support our show monetarily you can visit our facebook store and buy some of our cool swag and hats Or always feel free to donate to our Patreon account. And as always, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or hiking, please remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. 